Hungry for change in your life? Feed your ambition with Board Bia Talent Academy's Insights and Innovation Program. Get some incredible food for thought with a fully funded master's from DCU Business School. Learn from world-class innovators with placements in Irish food, drink and horticulture companies. And do it all while bringing home the bacon with a generous monthly bursary. Sound like your cup of tea? Nourish your career prospects by visiting boardbia.ie forward slash talent academy. Applications closing soon. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. A warning about today's podcast. It contains topics that some people may find distressing. Shot at 16, interned at 19 and dead at 64. GA legend Philly McMahon on his inspiration, his dad. And Dublin are still the champions. It's six in a row. Dublin, arguably the greatest football group ever to play this game. The story of how Philly McMahon became an All-Ireland champion eight times is more than just that of hard work and determination. His life and story began with his father, Phil, a man who at the age of 16 was shot by British soldiers in his home of West Belfast. I think there was a sniper on Davis Flats shooting down at the Brits and then there was a volley of shots aimed down towards where he was with some friends. He got shot in the stomach. He looked down and his whole stomach was hanging out and when he was touching go, yeah. Dublin would become his father's adopted home and where Philly would begin his extraordinary sporting career in the heart of Ballymun. There was opportunity to play sport in Ballymun as much as there was opportunity to go a different direction in terms of the way my brother went. I'm Fiona Sheehan and today on the Indo Daily I'm joined by Dubs legend and Irish independent columnist Philly McMahon to look at the highs and lows in his life and see how they shaped him into an athlete, an activist and a proud Ballymun man. Tell me about growing up in Ballymun. What did it mean to you? When I grew up in Ballymun, it was a, a community full of energy. It's very hard to explain, but an energy that it's just like if you imagine your avenue that you live on or your your housing state that you live on and just flood the streets with people. That's what it was like because everybody was living on top of each other because it's just full of people. I had a focal point as a shopping centre. You had the four-storey flats, the eight-storey flats, tower blocks. And it was just always buzzing. That brings its own sense of community. Everybody knows everybody else then as a result. Yeah, it does. But I, I also think the adversity, the stigma that the community got because of its issues probably tightened that community spirit, tightened that culture that everybody speaks about that comes from Ballymun, that, you know, we knew each other, we supported each other. You know, you could just walk five steps across your hall door, you're into your neighbour's house and you'd have no problem walking in and out of each other's houses and stuff like that. It was it was that special, you know, they're the little things that we're talking about that you probably wouldn't get if you lived in a normal housing estate. You'd probably knock into your next door neighbours, but like when I lived in the flat, there was a balcony basically between us and our neighbours and we just walked straight across or if my mum was in work and I came home from school and 
I was locked out of the house or whatever, I'd just go upstairs to her friend, chill out in her sitting room until she came home. Those are the things that were just little small things, maybe to most people, but like when you look back, they were special things. What drew you towards the football? Because there is a great sporting heritage in, in Ballymun. There's fantastic uh, soccer clubs, there's fantastic boxing clubs there. What was it about the GA and Gaelic football that, that attracted you? There's this thing in working class communities that with the adversity that young people have, they, they kind of have that probably resilience or toughness to get to the higher level maybe of, of their sport. And we've been very lucky in Ballymun to have such good sport and role models. And I suppose for me... I picked up football because, first of all, I wanted to see what my brother was doing on the blocks. That was my way of itching down towards him and the cool kids, the older kids who were seven years older than me. And there was opportunity to play sport in Ballymun, as much as there was opportunity to go different direction in terms of the way my brother went, you know. But like in the summertime, the flats, there was a big massive field. And in that field, we used to have a, a tournament. And that was the thing you looked forward to every year, a seven-a-side tournament in soccer. In Poppentry, there used to be a, a, a tournament where all the different parts of Ballymun played against each other. And it was just, it was an incredible buzz. So when we played street league, it was actually, we played lateral because we played, the goals were actually the, 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 the entrance to the blocks. And then that's probably one of the reasons why we had so many good people that, that were good at ball sports, hurling, camogie, whatever it may be, football, soccer, like because you had the flats to kick the ball against, you know, like we had sheds and we used to kick the ball off the sheds as a target. We used to dribble the ball around cars because now the cars weren't <laughs> driving through our stack. But the car park where you know, where you if you had a car back then you, you parked it in the front of the flats, but that's where we played football. So sometimes it was easier to play football lateral than it was to go out, go out the back and play in a, a normal football pitch. But they, the, the skills and the motor development we gained from that probably passed into us playing for whatever club we did. So I played for Satanta in Horland. I played for Ballymun Kickhams. Obviously played for Ballymun United. Um, done boxing in St. Pappins. And as I got older in life, I've I done MMA. There's, there's a lot of really good clubs in the area. And I think the clubs understand how much they do for the area and the kids, and, and so did so does the area know what these clubs do for for the for the next generation of young Ballymore people. Did your dad inspire or influence you towards the, towards the GAA? Do you think? Not necessarily the GAA. He pushed me towards sport, so he would have brought me to play in soccer. He would have brought me down to Fairview to play for Belvedere. He would have constantly told me to get out and practice, uh, especially for some reason. He just loved me practicing my headers. <laughs> He knew that when I was playing sport, I wasn't getting up to mischief on the blocks or, or misbehaving or getting involved in antisocial behaviour. So I didn't real, realise my dad played much sport till he was very ill and, and some of his friends brought photographs when they were younger down. And I used to call him a spoofer when he was saying he played Gaelic football and stuff like that. He was just saying that because I played it, you know, but he did, he played a bit, but Tell his life is different, you know. Tell us about where he was from then, where did he play? So my dad was from Lenadale in West Belfast, not far from Casement Park, so just from, from Andytown. It would have been a nationalist enclave. Him and his brothers were sent down to study in Blackrock College and they got, he got kicked out. <laughs> so uh, so that didn't work for him. And yeah, he went back up to North. And, you know, in terms of his story, he, he basically, he was shot in the stomach at the age of 16, you know. So he was in his teens when the troubles broke out transformational moment really. yeah it was massive it was massive like he to be honest he had a, a certain energy maybe that suited what was happening in, in, in the troubles from, from a teenager's point of view but then that on top of that you know 
him getting shot in the stomach, he, you know, there was only kind of one pathway, I suppose, he was going to end up going in life. And did he ever talk about that incident and, and what happened? He would have spoke to me a good bit about the troubles. I wasn't, I suppose, to understand that my dad was shot in the stomach when he was 16. And then, obviously, the troubles escalated even further and he he was interned then uh, to Lankesh uh, as uh, a, a visual IRA uh, prisoner. Um, and essentially then they tried to escape. One of the one of his comrades got shot dead and then he was up in court in Yuri and with, with 10 of the others that tried to escape and he escaped with them and went on the run for 30 odd years, you know. So I was heavily educated by the, by the North. It was probably what I watched constantly, you know, in terms of TV. I was watching BBC, UTV. They were the only two stations. Oh, yeah. You know, that I was reading papers, the Andy Town News, uh, on Republic. So I was reading the Irish News constantly, you know, and I was going up the North as a, as a young person. I'd say three or four times, probably a month, uh, maybe every second weekend I would have went up. Did he have Republican leanings before he was 16 or was it was it getting shot that prompted him in, the, in that I, direction? I don't really think? know. I don't really know the answer to that, to be honest. What I will say is that my dad always educated me on that the troubles should have not, shouldn't have happened the atrocities from both sides should have not happened. His a reason, whether you like it or not, to get involved in the troubles was essentially because of the harm the British done to him in terms of being shot, but also the harm it done to his community and the nationalist community. And and it wasn't it wasn't a dummy bullet or a plastic bullet or anything. He thought like that, it was that. He thought what, it was. So yeah. what, what what happened to him? There was writing going on. There was shooting going on. Um, I think there was a sniper on Divis Flats shooting down at the Brits. And then there was a, a volley of shots kind of aimed down towards where he was with some friends. He got shot in the stomach. Uh, he looked down and his whole stomach was hanging out. But that his, his friends thought he'd been shot by a rubber bullet and they were laughing. But then when they seen he was holding his stomach in, they pushed it in and a few of them grabbed him and brought him to, got him to the hospital straight away. And they were operating him and he was touch and go, yeah. So he was, he was, he was lucky. Yeah, very lucky. lucky. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you, you probably, well, he wouldn't have been born if yeah. they, if the Saracen came down and picked him up. Probably, I'd say they wouldn't have, they would have left him to die. I'd say. He goes down the path of 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 joining the IRA, and what was his involvement? That he would not tell me much on. Like you know, I don't know why. Whether it was he was proud or not proud of it. I was proud of the fact that he had a purpose in life to protect the people that he loved. The stories of what he did or what he had to do, if he told me one or two of them, I, I, he told me when I was young, like, I, I can't remember most of them, like, you know, to be honest. And before he passed away, actually, and I asked him to share some of the stories from the ages, you know, of 16 and, and when the troubles happened and all that sort of stuff. But he, he was just too well at that stage, you know. But he was a very private person in terms of the troubles as well. Like, if I went up the north now and people would come to me and say, oh, look, I know your dad, I was friends with him, or I'd done time with him, or whatever it is, I've got this kind of inbuilt conscious kind of paranoia to, you know, not to say certain things or ask certain things or be disrespectful in any way. And, and it was just the way I was educated, you know? So, 
my dad wouldn't have been a big talker in terms of you know what happened so he wasn't into bravado of talking about his his activities or anything no like not yeah, not really yeah. um but there would have been certain things you would have told me and you take them with a pinch of salt because you think you have the rest of your life to spend with your dad and I suppose when he got ill and he got sick then that's when I wanted to know more and you become probably emotionally connected a bit more to the to the whole story and the whole history of the North and that's just the way it works when you lose somebody you want to not really become an activist in the area but you want to know more about the whole history of it and what happened and, what, and that's difficult because when I'm asking family members or friends of my dad about him that's the difficulty I have is like what stories are you telling me and what stories they'll be cautious as well of what, what they tell me about my dad and stuff like that you know trying to protect him or me you know we just don't know but ultimately I think as I said he was very very clear in his message about the troubles but he would always felt that it was never sectarianism it was always to protect his people around what was happening in terms of the civil rights at the beginning then the troubles there are aspects about him that are out there on on, on the public record and, you, yeah. and you've, you've spoken about him did he ever tell you about about the armed robbery or no involvement in that or, or did anybody else ever fill you in or you, you kind of it, it's very vague basically yeah. it, it, because of, of of the time not all the not all the details uh, are out the provisional IRA did, did carry out armed robberies that was that was part of what they did to to fund uh, their activities so he, he was involved in that but he, it's not something that he, he really discussed no any of the crimes that he was involved in he, he never discussed with me I suppose the only one I would have and it wasn't even the crime it was more so I was I was doing a piece on it, I think it was the Irish News, and they were talking to me about him being extradited up, back up the north, that there was a there was a politician in, in Westminster that was actually, you know, talking about Philip McMahon not being extradited back up the north and, you know, how disappointed or, or angry they were at the Irish government for not doing that, you know. So that's in, in the record. But I never really delved into the, the you know, the, the cause of, of him being incriminated and because he he would have seen that he had a cause and a purpose uh he wouldn't have seen himself as a criminal he would have seen himself as you know as a volunteer of the provisional IRA and how do you see him now in that regard as a young man I'm somebody that believes in humanity when we look at history and we look at the wars that we see around the world and we see ego and greed I think those are the people that will go down in history as people that were against humanity or that, that were probably, in my eyes, people that won't be looked at as somebody that's po had a positive influence in society and in life and in, in the world. And then there's people that defend those type of people. And for me, they're the people that are heroes in my eyes. So you can't look negatively upon somebody if they go in and try to take your home over and you defend it. You know, that's the way I've seen it. And for somebody like my dad, you know, to to protect his community and his people, you know, it took me a long time to realise that it wasn't just about United Ireland. You know, more so was actually more defence around, as I said, the civil rights issues and then the Brits coming into the void, the two, the two sides of the, the divide. Then obviously... It grew into something much more 
devastating to the to the people of the north of Ireland and the south. Well, to the south to the extent. There's, there's a huge disconnection to the south, you know. Yeah. But I was proud of, of of that. I was I was proud of him being brave enough to do that. Uh, as I said, I, I'm a believer in humanity. So some of the atrocities that potentially he was involved in, I wouldn't agree with. But these are the things that had to be done to, I suppose, get to a point where we are today, where there's, there's peace. He led quite a dramatic young life. I mean, he, he shot in the in the stomach tragically at the age of sixteen. At nineteen, he ends up in in Lankesh, a very now I suppose infamous uh, uh, prison. And while he's there, then he's involved in in major events there too. Did you ever learn about those events of of 1974 and, and yeah. the burning of Lankesh? So, so the burning of Lankesh is an interesting period for me, Dad, because. As you said, he's he's quite young. He's surrounded by a lot of Republicans, and in Longcash, I think it's important to realise that it was an, it was a it used to be a British barracks, and um, they had these fabricated metal tins. That's where they kind of were were all living and and, and accommodated in. And, and basically, what happened was it was a massive riot, and I think it was the SAS. They dropped um, gas into into the compound and this gas um, has not been used ever since so it was so you get CS gas but then the CR gas basically when it was dropped in your skin it feels like it's on fire your eyes just constantly tearing up uh, you're puking up uh, it's it's just it's far more potent than, than CS gas the, the, the purpose of CS gas is to kind of almost attack your your eyes and your senses yeah. and make you move away whereas this literally attaches to you the issue with it is that it was a trial experiment by the British government and it's never been used ever since out of all those prisoners that ex- that were exposed to that a huge amount of them have died of cancers and respiratory illnesses and other illnesses and there's actually a group there that's you know it's on Facebook and it'll actually give you a list of 100, possibly more now at this stage. Last time I checked, there was 100 odd deaths due to cancers and stuff like that. So um, but that was a, a huge point in my dad's life because later on then in his 60s, he found it hard to differentiate the pain from the cancer to the gunshot wounds that, that happened when he was 16. So for a lot of his life, he would have been, you know, doubled up in pain, Regardless of what medication he got off doctors over the years, he was always in bits. Like he was, the nerves in his stomach were destroyed. Like so, he would always have issues and wouldn't really be big a big drinker in terms of alcohol. But if he had one or two points, get drunk very easily. But he'd he'd be be in bits for days. He was also involved in an escape attempt. Tell us about that. Which one? The the first one. The first one from prison. I think there was two attempts. I think there was one in relation to the, they dressed up as the officers that were containing them and then there was another one where they actually tried to dig a tunnel and he to try to escape. But essentially, when they tried to escape, one of them got shot dead. That was the that was the basis of them trying to escape because Republican prisoners, they felt this is where the the minor, majority religion in this, in this, uh, this island, yet there's a minority religion dictating 
what they did in terms of society, like civilly, like, you know. So they would always, it would have been always a thing of trying to escape. Uh, it was a big kind of goal to escape out of the British hands that, that contained it. So for any man to escape, any Republican to escape, it was, you were seen as a hero. You were seen as like, you're, you're a, a part of the very few that have done it or that have tried to do it, you know? So it's a brave piece to it, a bravery piece to it as well. As you say, not not the first, not, not the last attempt, there, there's a more pivotal moment then where does a, a courthouse escape? Yes. Which ultimately leads to him coming going to, on the run, to, yeah. going on the run. Yeah, so there's there's himself and ten, ten others that were a part of the first escape attempt and they were up in court in Uri. They basically went into the holding cells in the courthouse and one of them realised that the bars were weak and rusted. Basically they pulled the bars off and they wrote up the ra on the mirror with soap and they jumped over a big massive fence. My dad jumped off the fence and broke his ankle. Um, but they got away, uh, a few of them were captured and uh, a few of them got away down south. He would have spent the rest of his life in the 30 odd years on the run then. How does he arrive at, to, to settle in Ballymun? He lived originally in the inner city and at that stage the command structures down south weren't really solid, they weren't set up as, as much. So you had a northern group that came down from the north, but there was a Dublin brigade as well and there was, there was other factions across this, the country down south. He would have went down to a safe house in Mead, you know, in Ballybock. That's so he kind of was in around the inner city. Other northern people that maybe had weren't actively involved in republicanism, but were actually republicans, were supporting them through work and everything else. So, and and also then the people down south, particularly in working class communities, really really support the republicans. You know, in Ballymun, in Cabra. Uh, in the inner city, as I said, and other communities, Clondalkin and stuff like that, are heavily dominant Republican areas, you know. So, yeah, he had, he landed in Ballymun, where obviously he he would have had friends that had maybe gone through the same pathway as him, and that's where he settled. In Ballymun, in the shopping centre, you would have had two pubs. One pub was called the Penthouse, where most probably criminals would have drank. And then you had the towers where most probably Republicans drank and they probably never, they never really crossed over as much, you know. Well, if you were to go into the towers pub, you'd see a big massive mural of the 1916 uh, signatories. They were all there. And, and so that was a beacon, I suppose, for Republicans to go into, you know. So my dad was there. As I said, he, he met my mom. My mom is from actually South, South Dublin. Uh, she's a Southsider. So uh, they met in Ballymun and... Yeah, the rest is history in terms of 30-odd years on the run there. Tomorrow in the concluding episode of The Making of Philly McMahon, we hear what life was like on the run for Philly's dad. Ultimately, he sacrificed, and all of his friends and comrades sacrificed his life, but also the things that we take for granted in our everyday life he never had. He would have had to live with some of the things he did, and that certainly impacted his mental health and his physical health, and I'm sure the victims of the Troubles, likewise. We also hear about his stance on the Provisional IRA, 
if I came to my dad tomorrow and said, I want to join the Provisional IRA, he'd be the first one to say, you're no, not a chance, you know, um, from what happened and what went on. Sporting success. When you play sport, when you put that jersey on, whatever county jersey that may be, you're lifting somebody, you know, you're giving someone these emotions that can help them another day. Family tragedies. Get this man morphine, he's in terrible pain, we need to do tests on him straight away. And his next move. Politics. Any interest down the line? I've been asked a lot. I've been asked to go for the next general election. If you've been affected by any of the topics in this podcast, just search The Irish Independent for someone to talk to. I'm Fiannan Sheehan, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll and Garrett Mulhall, researched by Dave Hanrity, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from RTE, Virgin Media, the BBC, UTV and Independent.ie. And if you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.